Welcome to A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Inglewood. Today on A Transforming Word. That the intent of God is that believers are making progress, that we're moving forward. And so everything in the armor of God, it, it intends for believers to be going this way. The feet shod, those were like cleats that the Roman soldiers would wear, spiked shoes, the shield, the breastplate, the sword, the helmet. These are all things that protect you going this way. There's nothing to protect back there. There's nothing to protect you on your backside. One thing God doesn't want us doing in a spiritual war, spiritual battle is quitting or running away. The only way believers lose spiritual battles is to quit. Are you enduring through a rough spiritual battle? As you listen to today's message from Pastor Bill, he encourages you to keep fighting. He says that the only way you can lose a spiritual battle is for you to give up. Don't quit as hard as it may be. Know that the Lord promises to never leave or forsake you. He will see you through this storm, and in Him lies all victory. Pastor Bill urges you to gird up yourself in the Lord. Allow His strength to sustain you. Stay plugged into the Word of God and don't give up. Now here's Pastor Bill in the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 10. As he begins this message, How to Fight. 2 Corinthians 10, uh, we're going to just cover verses 1 through 6 this morning. And um, I titled the study this morning, How to Fight. And um, and I'll, we'll, we'll explain it as we jump into it. But I, I want to throw this out. How many of you guys here have, have ever had a fight? First of all, raise your hand if you've ever had a fight. All right. Keep your hand up if you lost. Not for us. Let's put it in. All right. So um, anybody over here has ever lost a fight or got beat up or whatever, you know, uh, I got a, I got both my kids actually are in different martial arts. And one of the things that you'll see at a martial arts dojo is you'll see kids being brought in by their parents because they've been beat up or they've been bullied and mom or dad is bringing them. I, I watch it every week. I'll be sitting there with my son. There's a new kid come and. You know, this kid is there, the parents are explaining that, you know, he got beat up at school or somebody's bullying him. And, you know, we just want him to know how to defend himself, take care of himself. That's part of the goal of martial arts. If it's, it's not so you can go beat up folks all over the place, but it's so that a kid cannot be at a disadvantage. Uh, you know, it, it can be a good thing. So spiritually speaking, right, as we go through this section today with the Apostles Paul teaching us how to fight the spiritual battle. I want you to have the same idea in mind that some of you guys have maybe been defeated in the spiritual battle. Some of you guys have maybe taken some L's in your walk with the Lord, some, some losses in the spiritual war, but we want to learn how to fight. This is a more important fight to learn how to be successful in. Uh, you can learn how to beat up everybody with your fist and be failing in your spiritual fight. So when we say how to fight, that's what we're aiming at this morning. Uh, we're all in a spiritual battle on one side of it or the other. And so we want to know, how do I engage in a spiritual battle? How do I fight? How can I be victorious in this battle? That's the goal of what we're going to be looking at this morning. So uh, let's look at 2 Corinthians 10. For you guys that have been following with us, the last two chapters, 8 and 9, Paul had focused on the grace of giving. And he was giving believers the, the right attitude and right heart when it comes to matters of giving. He really switches gears in chapter 10. And so the first two verses we'll find that like a lot of the areas in Paul's letters, there have been accusations made against him or things that his critics have said about him that he's addressing in his letters. And so one of the things that they said about Paul was that in his writings, he would write these bold, you know, letters that seem bold and almost harsh. But then in presence, when Paul was there in, in their face, 
He was lowly and humble. They even made fun of how Paul looked. Church history said that Paul was short, bald, had, you know, his eyes leaked and then he was, you know, bow legged. He had skinny legs. Um, it's a real, you know, it's a real unflattering picture it paints of him. And so some of the churches or some of the even believers would talk about Paul. They didn't like maybe the boldness that he came with his letters. And so they would say these things. And so Paul addresses that in the first two verses. Look at chapter 10, 2 Corinthians verse 1 and 2. It says, now I, Paul, myself am pleading with you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, who in presence am lowly among you but being absent and bold towards you. First thing Paul says is, first, I'm pleading with you by the meekness and the gentleness of Christ. And so Paul doesn't come at them and say, look, I'm Paul the apostle, who you think you are. You know, he doesn't come aggressive. He doesn't come with an argument. He says, look, I'm, I'm coming in meekness and gentleness. Now, some people confuse meekness with weakness, but it's not the case. Uh, meekness is really power under control. And the greatest, you know, example of someone that would walk in meekness would be Jesus Christ. As Jesus walked the earth, he was God in the flesh. And he let people attack him, <laughs> approach him, say things. They were disrespectful to Jesus. You know, I, I always I read the gospels and something. I think I would have been terrible. I would have been a terrible Jesus. There would have been lightning bolts. There would have been dead people. I would have found creative ways to make examples of people. But Jesus let people walk up on him and say stuff, disrespectful things, trying to get him caught up in his words. And he, there was, that, was, that was meekness. That was power under control. You know, I, my mind thinks if those people only knew who they were talking to, if they only knew who that was, they, they, wouldn't, they wouldn't say what they're saying. They understood. But there was a meekness about Jesus. Meekness doesn't mean weakness. It is power under control. And so Paul is exercising that here. He's saying, look, I, I could do it. I could do this a lot of different ways, but I'm coming first in meekness and then gentleness. Gentleness, gentleness is one of the fruits of the spirit. And this is how he approaches his critics. So I would throw this out to you. How do you approach your critics? Somebody say something bad about you. How do you respond? Do you come in meekness, gentleness? Or do you, you know, you pull out your earrings and, you know, do you put on your, 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 your fighting shoes? You know, how do you show up to handle those that have said negative things? Those that have offered difficult to hear critique about you. Paul's giving us an example. He comes in meekness and in gentleness. That is a good example for us to follow. The second part of verse one, he says he acknowledges in presence and lowly among you, but being absent and bold towards you. Verse two. But I beg you that when I am present. I may not be bold with you that um, I may not be bold with that confidence by which I intend to be bold against some who think of us as if we walked according to the flesh. And this is what Paul is saying. Look, I when I come to you guys, yes, I wrote bold letters and yes, I've written a lot of difficult things. My hope is that you guys will receive it and that when I get there, we don't have to have that kind of exchange. Uh, it'd be like, you know, Paul's got a journey to get to the Corinthians so he said, look, I'm writing these letters that you guys could hear my, you know, the, these are corrections that I'm giving you guys that when I show up, we can have a good time. We can be at peace. I don't want to show up and have to, you know, be bold and, and us be going back and forth. I want you guys to receive it in advance. So now starting in verse three, he begins to deal with the idea of spiritual warfare. And I want you to consider that in the context that he begins to speak about warfare is in the context of people. They're attacking Paul. They're attacking his character. They've attacked him uh, over in many different ways. 
And they said, look, you know, you guys are thinking of us, the last part of verse two, as if we walked according to the flesh, you know, and Paul said, that's not how I'm coming at you guys. That's not that's not the kind of people we are. Verse three now, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. Paul says, look, I'm a human being. We walk, you know, in the flesh. Our, our, we're, we're human beings who walk in, in, in just in a natural way, our natural living, walking. But he says, we don't war according to the flesh. The first thing about the spiritual battle we're going to look at is the nature of the war. We don't war according to the flesh. It is a spiritual battle. And I think this is important to know up front. If I don't recognize that I'm in a spiritual battle or that some of the things that we're dealing with, that the warfare is spiritual, I'll fight the wrong thing. I'll be going after the wrong people. I'll be fighting with you instead of recognizing that there's something greater going on here. There are stories in scripture you can look at and you realize that, wow, many times, you know, the enemy is able to access and use people. And sometimes he even used believers in scripture. One instance, I think of Peter, the apostle, when he was walking with Jesus, there were times where Peter was right on. You know, uh, when, when Jesus in John 6 turned and said, as all the people turned away, quit following him. He said, you guys also want to go. Peter was the one to step up and say, no, Lord, you're, you, you, we come to know that you're the Christ, the son of the living God, and you alone have the words of eternal life. Um, and he said, no, there's nowhere else to go. We're going to be with you. That was right on. Uh, and another place, you know, he, he was the one that said, you know, the, he had the right things to say. But then there came a point where Jesus said, hey, I'm getting ready to die. And Peter said, no, Lord, that's not that's not right. And what did Jesus tell him? He said, get behind me. What? Satan. Same guy. Over here, he was saying the right stuff. Right on Peter, flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you. But over here, God said, Jesus said, man, get behind me, Satan. That's Satan's thought. Satan doesn't want me to go to the cross. And that's a believer in that moment, maybe caught up in his own emotions. Maybe in his, I don't want to see Jesus die. That he's saying, he's expressing his own will. And Jesus said, that's Satan's will. Get behind me with that. And he had, the, that was to the same guy. You know, the same thing happened. I think of Job's wife. I think it's good that the Bible didn't give her a name. All we know her as Job's wife, you know. Job was going through all kind of havoc, you know. Satan and God had a conversation in the unseen realm, Job reveals to us, whereby Satan tells God, if you let me take his stuff, he will curse you to your face. And then he said, because it didn't work, if you let me touch him, skin for skin, all the man has to give for his skin, let me touch him, he will curse you to your face. And God said, you can touch him, but you can't take his life. And so after Satan took all of his possessions, killed all his kids, and then jacked up his health where he was sitting with boils from the top of his head to the bottom of his foot, and he's sitting there, guess what Miss Job came over and said? Miss Job came over and said, do you still hold fast your integrity? Why don't you just curse God and die? Now, I'm sure most of the time, Miss Job was an all right lady. <laughs> but in that moment right there, she gave voice to Satan. And the closest person to him at the darkest moment in his life comes over and says, I got an idea, honey. Why don't you just curse God? Why not just die? Why you got to curse God then die? Where did she get that from? You got that straight from the devil. Here's the deal. Sometimes the battles that we're fighting, they're going to be, you know, Satan will access people, even believers at times. Even believers can, can have a wrong moment. So a couple things. You want to make sure that you're never that believer. Speaking doubt, speaking things that are from the heart of Satan. Be careful what you say. People are listening to you. If you're a person that's always running your mouth and always giving counsel, you better fill your heart with scripture. And you need to pray about what comes out of your mouth because sometimes you got believers that are praying about steps of faith God wants them to take. 
and you got 20 naysayers. I don't know, man. You sure? You think that's going to work? What about, you know, man, if you don't have a word of faith or a word from the Bible or, or, or at least a word that came as a result of prayer, then zip be the lippy. You know, be quiet. Don't say nothing. You know, you might be being, those are all the things that Satan will be throwing at someone that's trying to walk in faith. You know, um, you think that's going to work? I don't, God said, I can't figure, I mean, sometimes when you walk in by faith, it doesn't work out. It doesn't work out on paper. You can't, you can't draw a sketch and see, you can't have a five-year plan and see it work out. It's just God said, and I'm just going for it because God said. And you go for it because God said until God does what he said. Um, doesn't make sense. The walls of Jericho, that was a ridiculous war plan. We're going to walk around once a day, for seven days, say nothing, quiet all the way around each time, and the seventh time we're going to shout and blow trumpets and the walls just going to fall down. Okay, Joshua, you know, I'm sure Joshua had to battle his own doubts, you know, and I'm sure he didn't need, you know, Miss Joe, I mean, Miss, you know, she, he didn't need anybody coming behind him saying, you know, telling them, you know, I, you sure, Joshua? Are you sure that's what God said? That sounds like a crazy plan. Can we at least have a backup plan to your plan? You know, he just had to go in faith and they believed God. And what happened? The walls came down, just like God said. So we, we, we walk in the flesh, but we don't war according to the flesh. It is a spiritual battle. Everybody's involved in it. And so we want to be careful about that. As you're interacting with brothers and sisters in Christ, they're in a spiritual battle. And we want to stand with them, help them, pray for them, point them to the word. Um, but the nature of the battle is spiritual. Here's another place where people get mixed up. If the battle is spiritual, but it comes through people, I can lose sight of the fact that the, I'm fighting an invisible war. I can start fighting with people. And there's some believers that they are contentious folk, man. They're always arguing, they're always talking, and they're talking about me, I'm talking about them, and they're fighting with people. Is that where our war is at with people? It's not where our war is at. One of the reasons why, in, in, the, in, the, in the some of the heated things that are happening in our culture right now, a lot of churches go, they do marches, and they go out, and, and we're going to make a stand, and we're going to do X, Y, and Z, and I'm going to tell you why I don't believe in those things, right? Because... Someone that doesn't know God, doesn't have a connection to God, that might be all you can do is, I'm going to go rally and march and walk. As believers, shouldn't we pray? Like, don't we have access to a greater power than anybody else? Like, our, we're supposed to come together and pray about the things that are broken in our society. We're supposed to come together and say, God, we're, we're interceding on behalf of the world in which we live and how you might want to intervene. We're praying that you would do, this is, this is spiritual issues and any spiritual intervention and we're praying that you would do something great. There's nothing supernatural about walking and saying, we disagree. Y'all, do y'all know that there's no power in that? I hope, I mean, maybe you don't. Maybe, I, I think there, are, I'll see churches and groups that go out and I believe that they believe that that's more powerful than prayer. Where's the prayer meeting at? Where are they at when it comes to let's get on our faces before God and say, Lord, what do we do? How do we invade this? How do we bring you into the midst of this? That would be more powerful and more beneficial. But many times you got believers that are engaging in the wrong war. We're engaging in the battle over here when God's like, I, I prefer that you get on your face about this thing. I, I would get involved if you would cry out. Um, and so. Be careful about letting society and popular thoughts and what everybody else is doing become the way you handle things as a spiritual being. We have access to something far greater. We should be praying about these things. And so once again, verse three, he says, we don't war. We walk in the flesh, but we don't war according to the flesh. Spiritual battle. If you're writing notes, write down Ephesians chapter six, verse 12. 
In Ephesians 6, 12, Paul says, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Paul says, look, we're, we're at a war, but we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. I'm not fighting with you. I'm not getting caught up battling with you. And that's not really where the war is at. And everything he lists there, these are unseen entities. This is, these are speaking of demons and demonic forces. He says, man, when the, the, the idea of principalities, these are spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly. That's where the war is at. How do you fight with demons? Can you sock a demon? Can you shoot a demon? You know, can you talk bad enough about a demon to make? No, you pray. That's what I mean. This, this is where we engage in the battle. It's got to be if the battle is spiritual, then so are. So we see later the, the weapons are about warfare are also spiritual. Sometimes we're addressing spiritual wars in carnal with carnal methods. I'm just going to throw this out here. There's a pop, there's popular thought in some of church culture where, you know, you'll see people yelling at the devil, you know. Um, devil, I rebuke you, right? Devil, I tell you right now, you're not welcome here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can I tell y'all that's not biblical? Do we, are we, because when you're talking to the devil, you're actually praying to the devil. Y'all realize that? Who are we supposed to be talking to? Why are believers doing that? Why do people, what example in scripture do you have? You don't. We have believers that are saying, if I recognize something demonic, I'm saying, God, you see that? I think that's the devil. Lord, would you rebuke the devil? Would you bind them in the name of Jesus? Lord, would you remove that? Would you deliver? Would you? I'm not talking to the devil. That's not my folks. We ain't on the same team. We're not. We're, he's a liar, a deceiver, a murderer. Why am I talking to him for? But it becomes popular. And you see enough pastors do it. Devil, I rebuke you. Devil, I turn you know, talking to the devil, stomping on the devil and all this stuff. Read your Bible. We don't converse with the devil. That's not. That's the foe. I tell God on the devil. Even in Jude, right? This is, I mean, this is, this is Michael the archangel with all kind of spiritual. He said, look, I didn't even, you know, address the devil. He said, I said, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. Always keeping the Lord in between you and the enemy. That's how we fight this battle because the Lord ain't never losing to the enemy. He has all authority and all power. That's your spiritual covering. That's your spiritual father. Why would you ever step out from under him to try to engage the devil, right? I stay right behind the Lord. Lord, you get the devil. That's your, that's your, you know, you handle that. God got that all day. Amen. Amen. And so um, be careful. It is a spiritual battle. There are spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. They are nothing to God. And so we're not engaging with them, but we're, we're, that's why we're, we're praying. And so the next verse, verse four, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. And so um, as much as the battle is not carnal, but spiritual. So then in verse four, we learn that the weapons are not carnal, but spiritual. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal. I'm sorry, they are not carnal, but they're mighty in God. That word carnal means fleshly. I don't fight the spiritual battle in the same way that someone fights earthly battles. Like I said before, people marching, people gathering together to, you know, share their vocalize their disagreement with what different people are doing. Believers are supposed to come together and pray. What do we do when we look at the, the things in our world going in a wrong direction? God says, pray, pray for the government, pray for those in authority, pray for those decisions that are being made. What if you realize in your community things are broken, things are not right? What's the issue in the community is that people don't know Jesus. They're lost people on every side of every issue, every battle. And so as a believer, right, I've been I've been baited by people that, you know, because you're black, you should be on this side of this thing. No, I'm Christian. Right? I'm coming on God's side of this thing. And I see black people lost and white people lost, cops lost, 
People out there lost. I see people on every side of the equation. They need Jesus. I can't go jumping on this side on, in a fleshly way. I, I'm trying to reach everybody for the Lord. That's my that's my position. Um, and I, I, I'm confident to stand in that. That's where God put me. I'm here. God wants to save people on every side of it. Does God have a preference, y'all? Does God love one group above another? No. Is there sinners in every shade of color you can look at? Yep. You better believe it. Is there people going to hell on every side of every argument? Yep. So I can't jump on this side of the argument with a bunch of people going to hell and say, I'm with them. No, I'm with God. Reaching out to them and them together. And so be careful how you align yourself as a believer. Be careful with stuff you posted on your Facebook. Be careful that you're representing the Lord and the stuff that you put out. That's what you're called to do. You got believers that get lost in the shuffle of every what everybody else is doing and what everybody else saying. You listen to too much secular news, secular radio, and your secular friends, and you don't read your Bible enough to have focus that says, yep, I'm looking at all the things that are going on, and I realize that I live in a broken world because people don't know the Lord. I got to be on my job, reaching out in the love of Christ with the word of God to everybody. And so the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're not fleshly. But... They're mighty in God. They're mighty. And if you if you highlight your Bible, you should highlight the phrase mighty in God. That's where the that's where the strength comes from. It comes from him. They're mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. So what are the weapons? We know what they're not. We know they're not carnal. We know they're not fleshly. We know they're not those things. But what are the weapons of our warfare? If you're writing notes, write down Ephesians 6 verses 13 through 18. I'm going to read a, a section of scripture from there for us. Ephesians 6 starting at verse 13. Paul says, therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, stand, um, stand, therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. And so in Ephesians 6, Paul lays out what we call the, the armor of God and all the different pieces of armor. I always like to point out that when you look at the armor of God, there isn't anything to protect your backside. That the intent of God is that believers are making progress, that we're moving forward. And so everything in the armor of God, it, it intends for believers to be going this way. The feet shod, those were like cliques that the Roman soldiers would wear, spiked shoes, the shield, the breastplate, the sword, the helmet. These are all things that protect you going this way. There's nothing to protect back there. There's nothing to protect you on your backside. One thing God doesn't want us doing in a spiritual war, spiritual battle is quitting or running away. The only way believers lose spiritual battles is to quit, is to not be willing to fight any longer. And so as Paul laid these things out, these are part of what we what we have at our disposal. And I want to just walk through them briefly. Right. He says, I have my waist girded with a belt of truth. And as believers, we need to be those that are walking in the truth. I can't really walk in truth that I'm unaware of, that I don't know. As we went out witnessing yesterday, we met a, a lady that was Jehovah's Witness. And we started talking to her and I was like, how did you get into that? You know, she said, well, they, you know, it was the first church group that she found that actually taught. Um, so she'd been at, you know, she probably been at 
at, at what I call kooky church. You know, she been where, you know, they shout and slap and run and dance and sing, but they, she ain't never been taught. So now she finally gets taught by those that teach false doctrine. But it made sense, they're teaching. Thanks for joining us here on The Transforming Word. Pastor Bill Buffington has been teaching through the book of 2 Corinthians. This letter was written by Paul to the Corinthians sometime after he had lived in Corinth. He had an intimate knowledge of the church there. So Paul felt led to write another letter to these people, expressing some personal things that he learned on his journey and in his ministry. It would seem that some in the Corinthian church criticized Paul's leadership, and so he found it necessary to defend himself to this church. Communicating this type of message is something that's beneficial at times when you feel misunderstood or misrepresented. Any one of us can face those situations at times too, and so discussing it with the other party is useful. We're so glad you tuned into A Transforming Word, and we'd love to meet you. If you're in the Inglewood area, come join us this weekend for church. We meet at Calvary Inglewood every Sunday and Wednesday, and you can get more information on our website, calvaryinglewood.org. You can always call or text us, too, for more information, 310-245-4811. Again, that's 310-245-4811. If you're looking for more resources or ways to connect with us, we're on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Just look for the links on our website, calvaryinglewood.org. That's all we have time for today. Join us next time for another edition of A Transforming Word.